It is my joy to be here this morning. Now, I'm going to share a little life philosophy. Uh, how many of you agree with me that 3 and $4 gasoline is too expensive? Okay, <laughs> putting that in a car is frustrating, but uh, a $4 cup of coffee makes sense to me. All right, so if I, if I drink it, I will pay by the cup for it. Uh, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but a little caffeine to get them going never hurt anybody. So... Uh, it is an honor to be here. We had a great Sunday school time with the class here, uh, the uh, senior adults, and looking forward to tonight as well. Uh, let me mention, uh, tonight's going to be a little bit of a unique service, so if you're not a regular Sunday night person, let me just invite you. Uh, we are going to do an open forum. Uh, we're going to allow you to ask questions. You will have an attorney working for you for free. How many think that's a good deal? And so we're going to be dealing with some cutting-edge issues. You're going to drive. It'll be almost like a live law talk program. And so uh, if you don't generally come back Sunday night, you might want to come or invite a friend, and it's going to be focusing on legal and constitutional issues, um, protecting the church. Uh, how many think the church ought to do things decently and in order? And talking about ways to effectively minister, but also to do it safely and wisely. Uh, my wife Karen and I, we were blessed. Uh, we, when they were little, we had a three-year-old girl. Then we had a one-year-old girl. Then we had boy-girl twins. Four kids, ages three and under. Now, how many think that house was hopping for a while? All right. Uh, they're older now, uh, 19, 18, and then the twins are 16. They're all teenagers and marching along. Uh, but when they were little, uh, how many of his parents have ever had the temptation to murder your own kid? Have you ever had that roll your way? I'm connecting with her already. I, I, but uh, the twins were about five, and they were riding in the car with Karen, my wife. And Danielle, the little girl twin, makes this big, bold declaration from the back seat. She goes, Mommy... I've only got one mommy, but I've got two daddies. Now, for a moment, this upset my wife a little bit. Trying to figure out what the little girl was talking about. Well, you might guess she was referring to her heavenly father. But here's how she said it. She said, Mommy, I've got a heavenly father, and I've got a homely father. <laughs> so as... Danielle's homely father, uh, it's certainly a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, our ministry, National Center for Life and Liberty. I told the uh, Sunday school crowd, just remember NCLL. Uh, in the college sports world, you have the NCAA. Uh, we are the NCLL, Life and Liberty. We're battling cases across America. And by the way, how many figured out our liberties are under attack in this country? Uh, I would tell you quickly, and, and we're, we're celebrating a victory on this, but how many figured out Jesus is under attack in America? Uh, we were recently, last fall before the U.S. Supreme Court, and we were representing eight different governmental entities, and we're before the court, and, and uh, the, the Supreme Court's a unique paradigm in and of itself. Um, you know, it's um, old-timey. You know, you go in, no cameras, no cell phones, even the attorneys are prohibited from any electronic equipment, no way to record. Uh, the networks are off to the side, so Fox, CNN, they get one chair, pad and paper, all the equipment's forced outside. So it's a unique dynamic, and the stage is actually a little lower than this, maybe down a stair or two, and so the justices, the nine of them, are brought out, and you know they're appointed for life, so some of them are quite old. Uh, they kind of prop them up, get them out there, and then it's across the stage. And, 
you know, and, uh, you know, one of the justices hates oral arguments. He looks like he's asleep half the time, and, and they, there they sit. Uh, the attorneys are kind of where that guy is. It's pretty close. And um, we, we begin into this case, and the issue of the case is whether the name Jesus is constitutional in America. When it's uttered by a prayer in a public official or military base or maybe in a public uh, workplace, public school. And the whole issue is just the mention of that name. And, and, and as we began to watch, it, it was fascinating. The court quickly picked up on the historic arguments. Um, number one, our founding fathers prayed. And by the way, how many believe they did pray? <laughs> number two, they prayed in Jesus' name. And number three, they wrote the First Amendment. So kind of logically, you wouldn't think they were trying to stop what they themselves were doing. And they picked up right on that. But Chief Justice Roberts made an interesting comment. He said, our nation has changed a lot since then. And they began to talk about the atheists, the Baha'i, and how people are offended, and the name Jesus. And, and, the, and they began this debate and discussion. And, and while I was there in the court and, and watching all of this transpire, and media is there, others are watching, you look straight up, and there is Moses and the Ten Commandments etched in the wall over where they sit. And I'm thinking about this, we're arguing about Jesus, and Moses is watching. Now, good news, uh, that case was argued and briefed uh, last fall, and the court handed down a ruling five to four. How many think that's razor's edge? One vote either way. And guess what? We won. Uh, they upheld prayers in Jesus' name across the nation. But the heartbreak in all of this is that a case like that would even be brought. You know, we're in a society right now that is getting more and more hostile towards the gospel. Now, I love your vacation Bible school and the outreach, and how many believe we need to get the gospel out everywhere? But, you know, we we now have a society, I mean, kids will come to church and get saved, and that's what we want them to do, and and that kid goes home to his parents and says, Mama, I'm going to heaven when I die. And the unsaved mama says, I am too. And the child looks up and says, no, you're not. And all of a sudden, the unsaved mama says, what are you talking about? And the child says, mama, you got to trust Jesus. Ask him your heart. Be born again. Tries to express the gospel. Now, years ago, parents understood that if you sent your kid to a Baptist church, Bible-believing church, that they'd hear about Jesus. How many figured out parents today are a little different? Now, all of a sudden, we got parents saying, well, who told you that? Well, the church, mama, and they go get lawyers, and they come forward, and are you ready for this? They will bring claims against the church saying, you injured, you messed up, you hurt my kid. They'll even use words like abused them by telling them that there's only one way to heaven. Now, by the way, how many believe there is only one way to heaven? And that's through Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're winning those cases. How many are glad we're winning those cases? But heartbreaking that they're even being brought. And it's very important, like what you're doing here, to make sure that you know the kids you have on the property, that the parents are aware of it, because we're living in this ever more litigious society, but it's all focused on Jesus Christ. 
Um, when you're in the cases, I, I hear it all the time, why are they so upset with Jesus? They're upset with Jesus because he said there's only one way to heaven. And you know, the Bible's pretty clear on that. It says, no man, I'll expand it, no woman, no child, nobody comes to the Father. But my me, referring to himself as the Son of God. But how many understand our culture doesn't want to hear that? And Jesus is under attack in our country. I'd also just give you a thought that your family is under attack in this country. Uh, how many have figured out they're redefining marriage? I mean, you know, I was working on a case in Utah. They've now out there, a judge has said polygamy is okay. Uh, Friday, a judge handed down in Wisconsin, uh, Judge Barbara Crabb handed an 88-page opinion that said, really, traditional marriage is polygamy. And so we're beginning to watch where the whole redefinition of marriage is sweeping our country. Now 27 states have either had judges or legislative action to legalize same-sex marriage. But how many understand when you start redefining something without a standard, you've really opened Pandora's box. And we're beginning to watch where it is sweeping. And, and somebody says, well, what is traditional marriage? I can make it real simple because, as I told the Sunday school class, American law was based on the common law, which was based on the Word of God. How many believe if you go to Genesis chapter 1, you have God's plan before sin entered into the world? And we understand in the Bible, we understand in society, and we understand even as Judge Crabb said in Wisconsin, that there is a history of all sorts of bizarrity through different civilizations. But how many believe God's very best was in Genesis chapter 1? Where he had a man and a woman, that's what he originally created, that was the original family. And American law always said, let's try to go back to God's very best. But it's now being redefined across the country. We're also watching where the rights of parents are under attack like never before. Um, our Supreme Court over 100 years ago said parents had the fundamental right, that means the core right, to make decisions for their children. Now all of a sudden, schools, educators, doctors, others, uh, policymakers want to say they know better than the parents. Uh, California, January the 1st, brand new law out there. Every single child in California public schools from kindergarten through the 12th grade can walk into the public school and decide whether they are a boy or a girl that day. It's a new gender identity right. And by the way, don't have to tell mom or dad, don't even have to notify the parents, don't need a doctor's note because they're struggling with their identity. They need to be freed from these oppressive parents that might want their little boys to actually be little boys or their little girls to be little girls. And so these kids need to have this complete freedom to pick and choose. The minute they make the decision, uh, they're allowed to uh, be addressed by their new gender name, restroom, sports teams, the whole range of rights. And by the way, they could change their mind tomorrow because they're struggling and trying to find out who they are. You say, well, I'm glad I don't live in California. Well, let me just warn you how many understand it's our biggest school system and all of the textbooks are written to their standards, to their ideals. And so across the nation, this whole new assault on parental rights is sweeping through the country. Now, I have to admit, I grew up in a different era. Some of you did too. How many remember the day when people not your parents could spank you? How many remember that day? 
Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, let's talk about this a minute. Neighbors spanked, didn't they? Schools spanked, churches spanked. Oh, let's be candid, total strangers at the market spanked. I mean, it was a... The, the young eyes here are like, whoa, they, yeah, it was a child-beating frenzy. I mean, we just got hit everywhere. We, we, we never knew where that next smack was coming. And, and, and we, and we got to be candid about it, too. If your parents ever spanked you by mistake, did they apologize? No. They had clever lines back then, like, I'm just getting you for something you got away with before I didn't know about. Like there was like a little beating bank account. You just kept it built up. And, and, and by the way, if I ever got spanked by somebody, not my parents, I had one prayer in life. That was that my parents wouldn't find out. Because I would explain to my mother how my civil rights had been violated, and she'd reviolate my rights. It never worked out for me, ever. But now all of a sudden, our society is turning from Genesis 1 redefining the role of parents, redefining the role of family, redefining the definitions. You say, David, you're, you're, you're giving me a, a little indigestion this morning. What, what can we do? How can we make a difference? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're not going to be long this morning, but I want to give you a prayer, something that you can take with you as you go into vacation Bible school, as you go into your life, as you go into your activities this afternoon and this week, I want you to look at a prayer that the early church prayed. Now, as you're turning to Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read the verse in just a minute, but I want to put a little context here for you. The early church, our spiritual forefathers, facing persecution. Let's talk about it. Economic persecution. Uh, for example, um, they were cut out of their families. They were disinherited. Lots of money passed through the family. And then number two, people wouldn't trade or do business with them. So imagine this afternoon you go to the restaurant. They won't seat you. They won't serve you. They won't take your money. You go to the grocery store. They won't give you goods. They won't take your credit card. They don't want to have anything to do with you. These people weren't just discriminated against. They were ostracized. By the way, that's why in the scriptures they talk about they pooled all things common it wasn't really designed to promote socialism. It was a survival mechanism. They didn't have any way to interact. When you name the name of Christ, you were cut out of the economy. But then number two, their government turned on them. Um, they were being called um, dissidents, disloyal traitors. We might use the modern word hate speech. If you name the name of Jesus, you were viewed as disloyal to the government. So many of them were put into jails. Now, sad thing. These jails, many of them didn't have food service. It was a family obligation to bring you food when you were in prison. It was their duty to make sure you didn't starve to death. Their families had cut them off. So many of these Christians were literally put into prisons to only die 10, 20, 30 days later due to dehydration and neglect because they had no nourishment. So they were suffering at the hand of their government. And then number three, they were scorned in society that they became the hated group that was mocked in their entertainment and was publicly put to death. We talk about martyrdom, that's kind of a fancy term, but really big public murders, okay? Reality TV, but guess what? It's real. This isn't fake. I mean, big coliseums, and they'd get wild animals, they'd sell tickets, and, and the Christians were the ones that were so hated 
that they were the ones that were used as the entertainment in this vicious, barbaric sport. So they'd let the children run and let the animals at them and let the women go and make the men watch, and then they'd hold the animals back a while. And the more screams, the more ratings, the more tickets. It was a bizarre culture. It was perverse. It was barbaric. But the Christians were so hated that they were the ones that had to face all that torture and all that public spectacle through murder and the burnings at the stake, no different. Burn them a layer at a time, make them watch their family. Again, more screams, more entertainment, more perversity. And that's what they were facing. Look what they prayed in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all, notice this next word, boldness. Let's say it out loud together, boldness. Let's say it one more time, boldness, they may speak thy word. Wow, what a prayer. Lord, look at what's going on. Look at the threatenings, look at the mess, look at the attacks. Now, can I challenge you with a thought? Notice what they didn't pray. They didn't pray, Lord, take it away, or Lord, don't let it hurt. By the way, those are typical American prayers. Lord, please take away the persecution in our society, but if persecution is going to go through, don't let it hit Fellowship Baptist Church. Don't let it hit my family. Don't let it hit me. And so we pray, Lord, take it away. Or Lord, don't let it hurt. And by the way, that might have been what I would have prayed if I was one of those Christians. I might say, Lord, when I'm in the Colosseum, seal the mouth of the lions, uh, hold their mouth at bay. Like Daniel, I'll walk out valiantly. And that would be a cool prayer. But then you might have the little wimpier prayer that would be along the lines of, Lord, look, those lions are going to get me. I'll let them get me in the head or the heart. Let me go quickly. I don't want to get an arm or a leg at a time. It sounds painful. Okay, that would be kind of typical American prayers, okay? They didn't pray that. They just acknowledged, and by the way, they acknowledged the sovereignty of God. By the way, how many believe God's on the throne? God raises up governments, God tears down governments. Um, God is not sitting in heaven going, boy, I hope President Obama reads those memos. I, I hope the Congress thinks that through. He's God. And in a measure, these early church leaders said, okay, Lord, behold the threatenings. And they basically said, Lord, it's under your control. You can bless us or you can persecute us. You're God. Behold, we see it, but that's under you. But then what did they pray? They prayed for what they could control. They said, would you grant unto us as your servants this boldness? By the way, how many believe we need a revival of boldness in America? Now, they did not pray for boldness to give their own opinions. By the way, how many of you like me have decided there's enough opinions in the world? And they didn't even say the great leaders. They didn't talk about the religious leaders or the political leaders. They said, no, no, no. Our boldness needs to be to the word of God. I believe, number one, we need more bold churches in America. Now, can I give you some good news this morning? How many believe you're sitting in a bold church? You're in a church that preaches the whole counsel of the Word of God. It's reaching out to the community, doing a great job. Now, can I tell you, you want to make a difference in this part of Columbus, this part of central Ohio? Be encouraging of the boldness of this church. 
you know, how do you encourage it? Well, obviously, you talk about it. You're excited about it. You give of your time. You give of your resource. And I know many of you do. But could I just challenge you that that makes a difference? This bold church is making a difference for this nation. But, you know, could I also give you a second challenge this morning? How many believe we need more bold individuals? We need people that have said, you know what? The, the, the homosexual crew talks about being out of the closet. How many figured out lots of Christians have comfortably climbed in? Give you a thought. I'll call it even a plan. I'll be so bold as to say this plan would not just reach America, but this plan would reach the world. You say, well, David, that's bold. What's the plan? If you made the decision to reach one soul for Christ, this year. Now you say, well, I could probably do it. Well, hold on. That's just part one. Okay. And, and by the way, reaching somebody for Christ, we're, we're thrilled. We have the gospel. We can give it. Holy Spirit can convict them. They can accept by faith the gospel message. They're a sinner. Christ died for their sins. He rose again. How many love that beautiful song earlier? Reach one for Christ. But then number two, this is the tough part. You got to disciple that person well enough that they go reach one a year and go do it again. The discipleship's the tricky part. Why? You actually got to get to know the people. And how many figured out there's some dysfunctional people in our society? Uh, how many have ever heard of the word high maintenance? How many of you are married to somebody who's high maintenance? No, don't put your hand up. Bad idea. But, but here's the reality. You know, sometimes we want to scare them out of hell, talk them into heaven, and then we're done with them. Okay. But if you would reach a soul for Christ a year, disciple them well enough to go reach a soul for Christ a year and do it again, are you ready for this? Not America, but the whole world could be reached in just a little over 35 years. One, reaching one, reaching one, it grows. Now you may be sitting here and say, boy, David, that's kind of neat. I, I see where that would work, but we got a problem. There's some people here that are not going to do it. Nope, they're just not wired that way. They've never done it. They're good folks. They come. They give a little bit. We like them, but they're not going to do it. Good news. You ready for this? We don't need them. We just need you. Any teenager here could do it. Any young parent could do it. Any young grandparent could do it. Any senior adult could do it. Now, somebody says, well, I don't know if I'll live 35 years, but how many understand you get it going? Now, imagine here we got four or 500 people. Imagine if we all did it. Imagine if across Columbus we could get tens of thousands. Imagine across Ohio, hundreds of thousands. Imagine across America, millions. Guess what we could do? We could trim years or decades off. We could reach the whole world in 25 years if a big enough group would get going on it. But one reaching one, disciple them well enough to go do it and do it again. And we could reach the whole world. Now here's the question. Are we going to do it? Lord, look at the threatenings. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, there's scary stuff. I mean, religious liberty is under attack. We're going to talk tonight during the Q&A. You can ask any questions you want. But there's a lot going on in this country. But how many figured out none of it's catching God by surprise? 
But then would you make the decision, and by the way, I pray this verse every day. I, I hope you don't do it as a vain repetition, but I challenge you as you go into your VBS, as you go into your summer, as you go in, just say, Lord, I see what's going on. But would you grant, and then put your name right in there, would you grant unto David Gibbs, would you grant unto pastor, would you grant unto our church, would you grant unto me that with all, say it one more time, boldness we'd speak thy word.